0: This is Life Transformation Radio. Prepare to engage. Seatbelt activated. Download initiated. Your quantum journey, a transformation, begins in three, two,
1: two, 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 one. Here at Life Transformation Radio, we are committed to share more about real life, love, the power of positivity, romance, and of course, laughter. We care about helping others find their internal drive and purpose. We celebrate life's challenges and overcoming them. I want to thank you for listening today. We've got an amazing show. On this show, my guests are amazing people who are forces for the good in the world around them and live a life of transformation. My guest today does just that. Today... Susan Lynch and I discuss how a stigmatized death can impact families. If you want to learn how and why a stigmatized death can impact families and how animals can help us heal through difficult times, this is the show for you. Susan Lynch is a former competitive dog trainer who's been training, competing, and volunteering with her golden retriever since 1995. She founded Life with Rune, a Facebook group that hosts hundreds of free training videos and socializing techniques in 2020. And in 2021, she was awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award for the Golden Retriever Club of America for her dedication to educating new puppy owners. She has a memoir, Life After Kevin, A Mother's Search for Peace, and The Golden Retrievers That Led The Way. It's available for pre-order on amazon.com. And today we have her live in the studio. We're talking about all kinds of cool things, dogs, and then we're going to go deep, and we're going to talk about how you have transformed your life from the death of your son. So, welcome.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Excited Re- to be
1: here. Really nice to have you here. So, first of all, I just want to tell you that I'm so sorry for the loss of your son. Um, anytime a parent loses a child is is devastating. And Thank you. Um, I've I've almost been in your situation with my daughter. Um, having her strokes and uh, brain surgery and coma, and we prepared for her death seventy two times and they told us death was imminent those times. Um, thankfully, she is still alive with us, and i, I can 't say that I know exactly how you feel because I can call her and text her and i i can 't imagine that, and um, I just want to thank you for being here for sharing this story with others because I think it's an important story to have. And I think talking about it is important. There's a lot of death surrounding us right now. And I think that if we talk about it, um, it can make it less stigmatized and more open to transformation. So welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. So you were a dog trainer. You've been a competitive dog trainer. Golden Retrievers are are just incredible souls. They are the most just incredible animals. They're they're like people, except they can't talk. I mean, the way they <laughs> communicate is pretty amazing. Golden Retrievers.
0: Yeah, that's that's the hallmark of the breed is that they're just such wonderful family dogs. And, you know, we I grew up with them as a kid. Um, and I knew I wanted my kids to have one and we ended up getting our first puppy when they were six and four. So I was training a puppy and training the kids at the same time.
1: Yeah. The time I've seen golden retrievals, retrievers, and I've seen a lot of them and my, my sister actually raises them, um, and trains them to be service animals. And it's an incredible experience, but they, they are remarkable dogs and, um, it's interesting because remarkable people find golden retrievers.
0: Yeah, I've noticed they're, that. They're they're just they're they're a special breed. They really are.
1: Yeah, the dogs as well as the people that have golden retrievers, I, I find they're very special people. They're very heart centered. Uh, they're very loving. They're very kind, and that's really how you would describe a golden retriever. Um, I'm, I'm sitting here with you and I can feel your energy and you, you, you come across a very heart centered person and, um, I'm really thrilled to have you here. So you're training dogs, uh, you're competing and then do you receive a phone call? Is that where this all begins?
0: Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I dabbled in it a little bit when the kids were little. Um, I didn't have much time you know, as being, I was a stay-at-home mom. So I didn't have much time, but I knew I loved it. And when the kids graduated from high school, I had more time and it was a wonderful cushion, you know, for the empty nest blues. And I started really getting into it and I started traveling um, up and down the East Coast. I live in New Hampshire and um, I had driven out to a national competition Um, the Golden Retriever Club of America hosts a national competition. It's a week long. And I was out there with my two dogs, Manny and Trip, and I was on the way home. I had spent the week out there. I was on the way home and it's a 15 hour drive. And I got to Western New York and I got a phone call. Um, I pulled into a rest area and I had a phone call from a police officer in California where my son Kevin was living. And he had just said that Kevin had died and it was completely unexpected. Um, He didn't have any details um, other than he was at a party the night before. He went to bed. Um, He was with two friends in an apartment and he didn't wake up the next day.
1: Wow. Um, That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. A lot. Um, how old was How old was Kevin? He was twenty five. Wow. Yeah, and he so he was out in California, living his life. You're being the supportive mom, and
0: yeah. So you know. he he um, he graduated high school in two thousand nine, um, and went to college in Montreal. He was there for a year, and he came back, and I think that's when he started having a hard time. Um, he really didn't feel like his life was going in a great direction. Um, and he got depressed and unbeknownst to me, he started using opioid pills. So, um, I had no idea. Um, he was working and, you know, he had, he, he, you know, I knew he was smoking pot. He did get arrested um, for smoking for, no, sorry, for, um, he did get arrested for possession of marijuana, right. which wasn't legal at the time. And um, he finally came to me at like in 2014 and he said, mom, I want to move. I want to get out on my own. I want to start again, you know, start fresh. I want to move right. to California. And I said, okay, you know, you, I know you can do it. And I gave him my blessing and I, you know, people have asked me, do you regret, you know, giving him your blessing for that? And I said, no, because I wanted him to know that he had my belief that he was going to be able to do it. And, um, and he, he was hitting his stride out there. He really was. Um, and I think it was. Something he, he was clean out there, um, according to his friends, and he was saying to a friend of his that he was kind of craving opiates in September of that year. Um, and then the next month, he did it at a party and was gone.
1: Wow. What was that like for you when you got that call from, from the police, like you pulled over the side of the road. What was that like? Yeah.
0: I, I well, it was, I got a, the, the, my phone said, uh, caller unknown. And I was like, unknown yeah. caller.
1: Those are the uh, worst. Yeah, That's, you know, the only people <laughs> that call are scammers in law right. enforcement.
0: Right. And so I didn't... said, well, I'm not, I said, I'm not going to answer that call. And then I heard my phone beep and I thought, well, that's weird. I have a message. And then I listened to it and it was just this very casual voicemail saying, you know, this is officer so-and-so from the sheriff's department. Please call me back when you get a minute. And I, right. I was like, oh, so I pulled into a rest area, uh, New York state rest area. And I called him back and he just kind of blurted it out. I mean, he didn't, there was no cushioning that he just said, how do you know Kevin Lynch? And I said, he's my son. And he said, he's dead. And, you know, it's, it just like the air just gets sucked out of your lungs in the world. And you're just, the only thing I could think of to say was, what do you mean? And he said, you know, we don't have a lot of details. Um, And he just, he had gone to a party the night before with two of his friends and they went to bed at like three in the morning and they woke up and Kevin was gone. And he said that it will take, um, it, it took four months to get the toxicology report to come back. And, um, when we did, it was multiple drug intoxication. So he had mixed alcohol and opiates and, um, Yeah. So there's a lot of stigma around overdose and, um, I felt it and I felt the shame, um, that goes along yeah, with that.
1: Yeah. I find that, you know, first of all, I just want to, I'm, I'm glad that you had the hindsight to pull over and make that call because, um, I'm just imagining I've, I've been around people that have been informed of, of, uh, a death. And um, you kind of lose it. And so I'm really glad you had the, the foresight to, uh, to pull over. I'm sure that was incredibly, incredibly diff- difficult.
0: Yes. Yeah, so the odd thing was that I, couldn't, I could compartmentalize because I had to get home. I was still seven hours away from home.
1: Oh my gosh
0: So I was okay. you know yeah I was oh. halfway oh. halfway through a 15 hour drive and I was by my oh. you know I was by myself my dogs were with me in the back, but um you know everybody kept saying, "I'll come and get you I'll come and I, I, I was like, I can't wait for you to come here and get me I'm driving home oh. and um
1: oh, my I, heart my heart is just oh i wow I, I can't imagine what that drive was like. Yeah. Did it you was, listen to music? How did you? How you know, did you, how I was did you listening, do that? I
0: was, I was listening to a book on tape um, and okay. it was um, The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna, if you've ever okay. read it. Okay. I've heard holo- of it. Yes. It was about the Holocaust. So it was nice and dark, yes. right?
1: Yeah. I, so I, I, that's a, yeah. Okay. Well, you're in the mode there. Down,
0: I put it in. And that was what I focused on. And I thought, um, and my, you know, because my husband was calling me every 15 minutes. And um, I was like, I'm always the type of person that has been, you know, especially with dog training, I think of my end game and I work backwards. Right. 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 So my problem was I have to get home. I have to use the restroom. I have to right. let my dogs out to go to the bathroom right. and I have to get gas. So you're the
1: dog. You're the dogs with you. Didn't you?
0: I did. Yeah. Oh my. And we, we had planned on staying overnight. My plan was to drive to New York, get, I had a hotel room, right? stay there and then finish the drive on Sunday, uh, the next, the following day. But, um, I just
1: pushed through and, and drove the rest of the way home. It's amazing when life changes in a moment's notice how all the things that you had planned for that you didn't have time for that everything shifts it's 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 quite remarkable that way and the strength that you acquire and it requires a lot of strength and um to do a seven-hour drive with golden retrievers after getting that news um, is pretty remarkable.
0: Yeah. I, That's I a survivor
1: tell, story right there.
0: It's, I tell people I knew how to drive, you know, um, my challenge right. was, but my challenge was after that. What do I do now? I,
1: I can only imagine. I can only imagine. And, you know, you talked about the stigma and, and I find that really fascinating in that, People are so judgmental of people that are in crisis. It's very it's very interesting. Um, and they don't know how to be. So when my daughter had her strokes, we had the dearest, closest friends in the world. And all of our dearest, closest friends vanished. They were gone. And people came out of the woodwork that we didn't even know that we were friends. And, you know, it's amazing how even, even with her having stroke, um, there's conversations among other people of, you know, is that really what it was? Was it drugs? Um, did she fall? Uh, let's see. Um, all these different, all these different scenarios instead of maybe it's a coping mechanism for people that they do that and create a stigma so that they can put themselves away from it because, you know, people tend to project what they fear the most. So it might be what's in their closets and what's in their household that they're dealing with that they're gonna they're gonna create that to push it away so that it's not in their home. But I'm sorry that people were that way. And death enough is enough to just devastate you and then to have people under their breath, you know, making comments. And you know, I mean, you know when people are talking about you.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I think I think that I think you're right. And I also think that people like to they have to um assign blame right exactly so they to be that's either somebody has somebody has to be at fault, and Always. with shame it's it was you know I felt the blame was my own, you know, like at what point right. did I do the wrong thing? Where did I fail him you know it was it was shame towards myself, not towards Kevin, but i couldn't. Right. I couldn't bear the thought of somebody blaming him or thinking differently about him. Um, right. And that would be how he would be remembered, by how he died and not who he was as a person.
1: Yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking um, the way that some people, you know, act in those situations. And I think as a coping mechanism for them, but I 100% agree that people have to have a end game. They have to have a, an outlet of like, oh, this has happened this because they don't like uncertainty because it makes them feel vulnerable to things happening. And you know, one of the things you talk about is it, it's an accidental overdose. Um, there are you know, overdoses where you know, there's a suicide note and it's very clear that they've overdosed on, on, on medicine to do that. And, you know, for people to judge, um, you know, when someone has a, a health condition and drug addiction and alcohol addiction is a, is a health condition and it's treated medically. And, you know, that's one thing that doesn't help people support other people and that there's a stigma of drug and alcohol addiction. And it's, it's painful. Enough for people that are going through it, as well as the families than to be stigmatized and it's it's so unnecessary and so I, I hope that people are listening to this 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 show and this interview and if if they're feeling that way towards someone around them, you know maybe they can look deep inside themselves and know that You know, the mom and the dads and the brothers and the sisters are are hurting a lot. And that, um, you know, adding that extra gossip or um, just nastiness is so unnecessary. And to look deep within yourself and your heart and your soul and see what makes you tick to do that.
0: Yeah, I, I think that um, you know when I when I wrote my book and write you know whenever I write and speak to people, I talk about how um, you know if if you were in this situation, what you know what think about what it would be like for you. But it's really really difficult for people to be able to put themselves in that situation. And another thing, I think that. People um, don't realize that they're that they're crossing a line is when they ask you what happened or how did they die. Do- right. Because if I don't, because that shame, I ended up keeping a secret. I, I ended up keeping Kevin's cause of death a secret
1: for two years.
0: I didn't. No, is that
1: my- because no, is that because of your own um, thoughts? So you had your own okay. Okay yeah. so it I wasn't felt, just outside I
0: felt that I was I felt the judgment I felt the um the the stigma and because I hadn't had the time to process Kevin right. having any kind of drug problem or uh, an opiate drug problem um, I needed to process it by myself so I was not going to subject myself to the judgment by sharing how he died. So I kept it a secret for 2 years. I ended up telling um uh my parents after um just this series of events that had happened um and I just said I can't do it anymore. I can't I can't control how others are going to uh, what their opinions are. And so I made it a point to if I'm going to tell people, I'm really going to tell people, and I'm going to talk about it and make it um, make people aware. And one of the big things, like I said, was when people say, "What happened and how did he die?" And it seems like a very innocent question, but when a person is feeling that the when there is a stigmatized death, they're yeah. feeling some form of shame, right some form Absolutely. of remorse and guilt and what did i do wrong and so if they don't put the cause of death in an obituary if they don't tell you how they died please don't ask just just give them your condolences and leave it at that but it's it uh, it was always oh my god i'm so sorry what happened what
1: happened exactly oh yeah um yeah, I, I, you see a lot of deaths on, and it, it's, yeah, I, you know, we talk about suicide on this show and, and um, I have friends that committed suicide. I've probably lost five friends to suicide since this pandemic um, started. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting because uh, a, few of, a few of the people that I know in high school um, committed suicide. And, you know, how so sad to say that, you know, uh, so-and-so uh, passed away and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And everybody, and then all the comments are like, I'm so sorry. Your thoughts are in prayers. And what happened? You guys do you know what happened? What happened? Hey, what happened? Yeah. It, this person no longer is alive. We're going we're gonna to mourn his, his death and celebrate his life. But everybody wants to know what happened.
0: Well, think about think about when somebody in the media dies that's young, right? If you get a 25-year-old movie star or singer, whatever, yeah. and they die, what's the first thing everybody does? They go to their phone. What happened? What happened? Yeah. What happened? It's right. like we're conditioned to ask that response and or to ask that question. And it's just...
1: it's just, if, it, if it is meant to be public, it'll be made public right. very right. clearly. If it's not, it's not, and and a lot of times it is an accidental drug overdose, and other times it's um, a suicide, and other times it's nefarious, and they don't want to talk about it, right? You know, um, people don't have a hard time talking about a death if there's a car accident, but there's so many different ways. Even if someone is a victim of a crime, most families will not share that with others because. That's stigmatized. It's so absurd. They're like, well, where, what happened? And what was he doing? And, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it, all that. And it, it, it's, it's interesting as a human dynamic how, you know, people have the curiosity. But I think in regards to a younger person, I think people's mortality is so fragile. They're so afraid of dying that... They're like, well, what did they do? Because I don't want to do that. Right. <laughs> I think that I think that's what it, you know, I've had a few near-death experiences. I'm very blessed. I'm on borrowed time. I'm so thrilled to be here. I live every day like I want to be alive and I, I take great, oh, I'm so grateful every day to be alive. Like so grateful. And I see people go through life and they're so oblivious to life and they have no idea that at any moment your life can change like that. You can get that phone call. It may not be you that has that impact, but it could be your son, your daughter, your mother, your father. And, you know, we're, we're human beings. We, we live and we die and the circle of life happens. And it's something that we all have to deal with and we all def- deal with it in different ways. But I, just circle back, I, w- I would say I agree with you in that when you see someone has passed and they don't have the cause of death, that you know, uh, it might be a good idea to really not inquire.
0: I I had, if they
1: want you to know, if they want you to know, they'll tell you.
0: Yeah. I had, I I would say 98% of the time I could not tell somebody that, that Kevin had died without somebody saying what happened or how did he die? It was, it was really amazing to me. And as a result, I was, I would always approach somebody and be like, do I want to tell them? Should I tell them? Is it worth it? They're going to ask me. How am I going to respond? And it was always this like dancing around the, you know, well, we're not really sure. And well, it was just became a really difficult situation on top of the grief.
1: Absolutely. I, I, abs- absolutely. 100%. I have one of my, my dearest friends. And, uh, her brother passed away from an accidental overdose, um, recently. And, um, it's a stigmatized death and her parents are suffering so much. And, um, they're, you know, they're in a religious community that frowns upon any, uh, drug or alcohol use, um, you know, not not that any religion actually condones drug use, but I'm just saying that you know, extra extra content into your body is very um, discouraged, strongly discouraged. So the the pressure that they must be feeling, and, and my heart goes out to them. Um, is that you know, wow, well, well you you know you kind of failed as a parent, and, exactly. And, and the and the thing is, is that. That's not true. I'm a parent, your parent, their parents. And you know, I've gone through, done lots of work, and and the reality is that you you can't rescue your children forever, even in that environment where you were at, you can't rescue them forever. There's a certain point um, where you get to and say, Look, you've fallen a lot. You haven't hit rock bottom. You're near your rock bottom. I am giving you a place to land. I am supportive of you. And if you cannot work within these boundaries, then I, as a parent, because I love you so much, I will step away and allow you to hit your rock bottom so that you can heal and rise That rise from that. And it's one of the most difficult conversations that a parent has. And it's one of the most difficult actions in our life that we have. But I will say that as parents, we're not to blame for the behavior of our kids. We, they're, they're individuals and we support them. But if they're falling and falling and falling um, and then they're not getting it and rebounding back... I mean, I have a lot of friends that, have, 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 that are parents and then have children that are into drugs and they live on the street. I, I have an incredible friend and she, you know, her son has absolutely nothing. He um, was, you know, a few months ago, he lost everything, got drugs, got kicked out of the halfway house and got in the street and got tragically beat up. And wanted to come live with mom. And you can't let them come live with you. It's those hard decisions that you have to make. And, you know, I think it's important that people really look deep inside themselves and how they interact with people that are parents, that have children, that have substance abuse, you know, challenges, or they've lost someone from that and have compassion. And that they've done the best they could. And that's all we really can do as parents is to do the best we can.
0: Absolutely. I think that um, oh, parents really take on, uh, this is what I've, I see, parents really take on their kids' successes and failures. Right? Yes. So somehow we are, they are a representation of us and how successful we were as a parent. So if our kid is successful and, you know, doing well and has the great job and everything, that's a reflection on us. Same thing if our kid is, you know, out doing drugs or whatever and doesn't have the life that we would want for them, somehow we take it in and it's a reflection on us. And so... What my experience, anyway, was to hide that and to not talk about that. And it seems like the more I talk about it, the more I'm hearing from parents saying, yeah, my son does that, too, or, you know, whatever. Or, and yeah. so more of their stuff is coming out because somebody else is talking about it, you know? Well, okay, so their life isn't perfect. Then I could share a little bit about my life, you know? So um, it's, shame is a very isolating emotion.
1: Um, yeah. And I, 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 I will disagree on one thing and, and maybe I've done a lot of work. I don't feel that way. Um, I never really have. I don't, I don't feel that I get credit for who my daughter is, whether how successful she is or how challenged she is. I just did the best I could. I I don't, I don't, I don't get credit. She gets the credit. I mean, I actually go through life. Go ahead.
0: That is a very enlightened response because I don't Um, think a lot of parents feel that way.
1: No, they don't. And it's the way they were raised. And I mean, even the point of, you know, um, and I've done a lot of work and on myself and even, even when people say that I've done something great, wrote a book or, or I've, I've done a podcast that has really impacted people, I honestly don't believe that, that I get the credit for that. I, I believe that, that, that I have a team. I believe the universe and, and my spirit guides and my angels, they all are there with me. It's not the Rob show. I'm a catalyst. I'm a vehicle. But I, I don't do a whole lot. I'm just, I'm just a vessel and it's a very peaceful way to be um i know a lot of people are are getting to that point but i i would i would really have someone who's listening right now that that feels that way you know that we really we don't get to take credit for our kids we don't um we did the best we could if they turned out great amazing if they've turned out with challenges you know what amazing because we did the best we could. And that's what happened. And as you know, you can look at a child, like I used to look at my daughter and you probably looked at your son when, when they were just little kids and you're like, you're like a little person. Like you're your own little world. You're, you do your own thing. You're an autonomous creature. And I think parents think that they have so much impact and influence among their kids. And we, we, you know, we guide them, we set boundaries and we do things like that. But that's just the job of being a parent. I don't think we get credit for that. I think it's, God, it's kind of, I don't know, narcissistic almost in, in a way to be that way. And that we're taking away the power for the kids. I, I agree, I agree I, with
0: you a hundred percent. It took me, it took me Kevin's death and all yeah. of the grief work that I went through to come to that point but i absolutely took credit at, for my kids successes and took credit for their failures or you know challenges so
1: yeah that- it's a, it's a very it's a very interesting phenomenon about that i was i was at a, a social event recently and people were talking about their kids and um it was like they were talking about their cars or their jobs. Like, you know, like when you go to a high school reunion, everybody, everybody wants to talk about their jobs and stuff and how great their life is and all that stuff. And it's just like sad. My high school reunion was coming up and I'm like, I really don't want to go because the last one, all everybody talked about was trying to one-up everybody. And I'm just like, they're not in my life. I, I never talked to them. I reached out, they don't reach back, you know? And it's just like, Why? And, and I think that people need to look deep inside themselves if they, are, if they are taking credit for their children because they just did the best they could. They gave them guidance, which is what our job as a parent is, and give them the tools to then go fly. Just like a bird, man. You, the bird doesn't give the, the baby bird credit for flying. It's like, you're flying because you're flying. I agree 100%. 100%. And I, I think of, of some of the parents that I know, my friends, and I'm like, wow, their whole identity is tied into the success of their kids. Like, wow, that's incredible. Yep. They've lost themselves. Yep. Wow, wow, wow. So let's talk about the transformation. So you survived, you thrived from your son's passing, and you turned your training of the dogs into helping people overcome transformations in their life.
0: So. I learned a lot from my dogs, um, and I'll say the, the initial thing that I learned was, so they were used to being trained five to six days a week, okay? So they right. were really athletes, and they went right. from that to a 30-minute walk in the woods. So, you know, it, they had- You're a, like, uh, like, Susan, like, <laughs> uh, what's up? What's going on here?
1: They're giving you—they're giving you that look that, that right. golden retrievers do. They just look at you like <laughs> you freaking idiot. Why are you not doing what you're supposed to be doing?
0: Well, they actually—they, I say they mirrored my grief. They—they they would stay with me in the house. They were quiet. They never made me feel like you know, come on, come on, let's go, let's go. They never had any of that. So they were like just. They would follow me from room to room. And when I did take them out on a walk, I could see they were enjoying themselves. So it was this beautiful, they were in a beautiful embodiment of balance. They were, and what I learned was that they were showing me that I absolutely had to give my grief the attention it needed for as long as I right. needed it. But right. yet, I can also enjoy what was right in front of me and enjoy the beauty and nature. And they would be rolling and wagging their tail. And I thought, that's what I want. Because I didn't have any directions. I had zero direct. I had no idea how I was going to move forward. And I absolutely could have stayed in that pit of grief. It would have been so easy to do that.
1: I'm glad you didn't. I'm glad you didn't.
0: And I thought, okay, that's, that's a direction. That's how I'm going to move forward. So, um, that I always credit them as being my first teachers, but so after, um, I started volunteering, I got my dogs, um, therapy dog certified and I started uh-huh. volunteering with hospice. Um, and they were, um, well, Ma- my dog, Manny was a, the greeter for kids who had lost a parent. So he was, Uh um, we were a grief support team in, um, for grief group. And then in 20, it just
1: makes me smile. It just chokes me up, makes me smile. I just think that's a beautiful thing. A greeter for a child who lost a parent and that loving, beautiful soul of a dog.
0: Yeah. So he was like, he was like something for the kids to go toward. Cause they were ages four to 18 so, you right. know, you come in, they come in the room and they're real, you know, it's awkward. And so it's, the dog was a nice icebreaker. Um, and it made me feel good to, to help other yeah. people. Um, and that was a huge part of my healing was to be able to, you know, offer myself and what I can do to help. Um, right. So in 2020, when COVID hit, um, I Manny had passed away in February of 2020. And I had been on a list to get a puppy. Um, and my puppy came home in April of 2020. And we were in lockdowns. So I thought, this is going to be a disaster for a generation of dogs, that they're not going to be able to go to classes and be socialized and all of that. So I thought, well, I know what to do. And I have an eight-week-old puppy. So I'm just going to start recording what I do with my own puppy. And it just kind of snowballed. And um, I I committed to a year. I said, all right, I'm going to focus on, you know, what I do. Because that first year is so really, really important to lay the foundation of manners and just to socialize them and make sure that they're not, you know, afraid of certain things. So, right. Um so I did that and um the Golden Retriever Club of America picked up on it and they started featuring our group in their Facebook group and um and then the following year they awarded me the lifetime achievement award which was quite an honor. Um so now I have a I went off brand and I got a beagle puppy.
1: <laughs> oh wow.
0: Yeah, so um and he's a blast. I, I always, um, I tell this cute story about Kevin when he was little, he used to, um, he, he when, when he thought that I was going to say no to something, he, he would be little and he would tap his fingers together and he'd look at me and he'd be like, mom, how about yes. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. So I, I that's adorable.
1: Up. I just, oh, that's beautiful. It's, it was
0: so cute. That. And, um, so I sign all that's how I sign all my books. How about yes? That's kind of like the thing. I love it. And kind of like what I do to check in when I think that I can't do something, I'll check in and I'll be like, all right, how about yes? How does that feel? And trust my intuition. So um I say that Ripple, my Beagle puppy, was my latest how about yes. <laughs> because I love it. yeah. So he he's been he's been a great addition to the family.
1: I love it. Susan, thank you so much for, for taking time out to be here and share your story um, about your son, Kevin. And thank you for being the transformative person that you are and impacting so many lives in a positive way. And I really want to uh, acknowledge you for that. And thank you for being here.
0: Thank you so much, Rob.
1: Absolutely. If you want to get in touch with Susan, you can reach her at Susan dash lynch.com you can hear about her book life after kevin and reach out to her talk to about golden retrievers and and other other things it's all good thank you so much for your support and taking the time out of your busy and precious day to listen to life transformation radio we so appreciate it thank you for allowing me along with my very special guests to touch your heart move your soul and inspire you to live a life of transformation i'm rob actus until next time
0: This is Life Transformation Radio. Download
1: complete.